0: Welcome, everyone, to another week of the Extra Rounds podcast. It's all Elias and, and no Mike, unfortunately, this week. We got, uh, my co-host Mike Dice is out in Houston, Texas, where he'll be covering the UFC. Is already covering the UFC Fight Night event and also the Super Bowl uh, for fans cited. So He's got a really uh, fun week that's uh, underway and going to be going. We've got a fun episode, even though it won't be as fun without Mike. We've got, uh, actually... One of the uh, fighter on the card of uh, this week's UFC Fight Night 104, Adam Milstead. Heavyweight Adam Milstead is fighting Curtis Blades, who's from uh, the Chicago area where we we go live from each week. Uh, Adam will will be on around about 2.45 Chicago standard time. Before him, we'll have Rick Glenn on, a a UFC featherweight, who's going to be fighting for the second time a week after this this weekend, actually. February 11th against Felipe Nover tough veteran, Felipe Nover. Really excited to talk to both men. Have really great stories, uh, interesting personalities, and, and really great fighters, even their newcomers. We wanna in- take some time to introduce some of you to them. Uh, if you hadn't seen them fight before, if you did see them fight and wanna hear from them and learn a little bit more about their lives, we're gonna wanna get to them uh, later in the uh, in the hour. Really excited about that. First, though, I want to get to a question that I've been saying we're going to get to for a while. We take questions uh, here on the Extra Rounds podcast. We, you know, we listen to your tweets or your direct messages. If we follow you, you can follow us at Extra Rounds we also, uh, we also have a, a phone line where you can leave messages, uh, voicemails. We play them. If you want to ever do that, and, we've, and if you've been listening to the show, you know we do play those messages and we do address the calls. That number is 815-570-3923. Again, that, uh, the number to call, leave a voicemail, make a comment. Uh, we take compliments. We take questions. We're not so great with, uh, with insults, but uh, if you want to do it, you can. 815-570-3923. We also set up uh, just recently, uh, an email address as well. You can you can send us an email that way. And uh, I got an email to to my own email address um, a couple weeks ago, actually, if more than a few weeks ago, from Brad Stein, and a really interesting question. I want to dig into that first. So again, uh, from now on, you guys can write at um, the Extra Rounds Podcast at gmail.com. If you email questions, you can do that. You can also call us at 815-570-3923 and uh, leave a voicemail or, or holler at us on Twitter at Extra Rounds. So Brad, Brad Stein uh, from Chicago writes, Hey guys, finally listened to your podcast in full today, and this is a few weeks ago, and learned a lot, especially from the interview with Alan Jovan. Question, I feel like striking is dominating in the UFC these days Partially, this is a reaction to the Nunes-Rousey rematch. I know Nunes is an excellent grappler, too. From my perspective, someone who leans the way of the quote-unquote grappler, how does grappling come back to prominence? Very interesting question from Brad. Brad, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for uh, saying you learned a lot. Um, We try to bring on good guests and and go into technique and uh, technical components of of the fight a lot with them as they're real experts. So glad you liked the show. Glad you uh, got something out of that conversation. We had UFC welterweight Alan Joban on uh, a few weeks ago after his most recent big win over Mike Perry and he had some really cool stories to tell, but he also had some interesting uh, technical uh, stuff to talk about. Allen, of course, is a phenomenal striker. His last fight was fought almost entirely on the feet, except for when he decided to take the fight to the ground and, and show his, his uh, really improving wrestling. So that fight, Brad says, that conversation, and also Amanda Nunes really tuning up Ronda Rousey on the feet in their last fight uh, when she, she beat Ronda pretty, pretty fast. Um, we a knockout, or t- TKO, I should say, that got Brad thinking about grappling, thinking about how grappling back in the day used to really dominate. Grappling in many forms, back to you, uh, perhaps Hoist Gracie winning the first couple UFCs uh, with submissions uh, on the mat, taking it to the mat, and then really outclassing people who didn't know anything about it, or, or other types of grapplers like, uh, say, a Dan Severn or Mark Coleman taking people down to the mat on their terms and and really dominating, not always with submission holds, though sometimes with submission holds, but a lot of times with some nasty uh, headbutt strikes, uh, and just pressuring control as well. Uh, Brad wonders if that time of grappling dominance has gone away. He seems to be thinking it has, and how we could possibly return to that as a grappler himself, it sounded like. Well, first thing I want to point out is the, the grappler... And grappling skills and style have not fallen out of favor in modern mixed martial arts. We have a host of, let's look at the top level. Let's look at like champions, top contenders, things like that. We got, let's say in the light heavyweight division off the top of my head, we got the champion is Daniel Cormier. He's an Olympic wrestler, right? That's his base. Um, before him, John Jones. Also his base was in wrestling. Anthony Rumble Johnson, top contender. Yeah, he's a knockout artist now. He started in wrestling. Uh, Amanda Nunes, like like Brad pointed out, yeah, she's doing really great with her striking, but she started off as a grappler in judo and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, Stipe Miochik, the heavyweight champion, great boxer, started out as a wrestler. Tyron Woodley, the welterweight champion, absolutely a high-level wrestler, right? Uh, Demetrius Johnson, the flyweight champion, started as a wrestler as well. So, we're not seeing grapplers go away or even cease to be dominant uh, in modern mixed martial arts. Uh, we are seeing a ton of grapplers who learn to strike, right? And the importance of that, even if it's unseen in a particular match, the importance could be any number of things, but it could be this too. It could be um, someone who is a phenomenal striker, uh, but. But started off as as a grappler. Let's say Daniel Cormier. He's he's uh, he's an excellent striker now. In my opinion, um, it's, it's not my opinion, but I think he's I think he's one of the best strikers in my opinion out there. Most diverse strikers. Um, he can use a fight. Uh, he can use his wrestling in reverse, so to speak, the way Chuck Liddell used to do, where. Even if I'm not interested in taking you down and putting you on your back, even if I want to make this a stand-up striking fight, I'm going to make sure that you don't take me down by using my, my takedown defense, which is a, a wrestling skill. Defense is the other side of the coin and, and just, as mu- just as important in grappling as, as the offensive side. So we're seeing a lot of grapplers who learn to strike. Modern mixed martial arts turned away from being a style versus style, a singular style versus singular style type of matchup. Once... Better athletes got involved once the sport had been around a little bit longer in this current form. And, uh, and, and, and knowledge got passed around a little bit, right? At first, it was I represent, Brazilian jiu jitsu, I represent boxing, I represent kung fu, I represent ninjitsu, I represent uh, savat kickboxing, any number of things. Once we all saw what happens in, in free fighting, we all started learning everything, right? Martial artists started learning, smart ones started learning everything they could then it just by sheer evolution and osmosis it stopped being individual style versus individual style so then it becomes about matchups it becomes uh, uh like anything else in boxing everyone knows all the punches right it's 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 uh, your physical attributes your skills your your talents Uh, Your reflexes, in conjunction with strategies and game plans that that determines how that matchup uh, looks. And how you perform in that given night determines how you win. So what I'm saying is it's about matchups now between athletes and between particular fighters more than it is about uh, particular styles. So you're not going to see one style dominate more than the other. Even saying something like, um, oh, we got behind me here, we got a little problems with the, uh, there we go. Cool, I just noticed I don't know how long I've been going. Thanks, Rich, for fixing that. We had a little logo problems behind me. Um, But we're not seeing... Even speaking of striking dominating, if it is, it's a pretty broad generalization, right? Because there's different striking styles. There's Muay Thai kickboxing out of Thailand. There's the Dutch kickboxers who combine Muay Thai uh, with uh, w- with karate styles out of Japan and, and did their own thing. There's there's the re-emergence of so-called traditional styles like Taekwondo or different styles of other karate um, that we're seeing used by the likes of Conor McGregor or really a whole host of people, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, um, So striking itself is is not some monolith, it's a really broad spectrum, Uh, it's a blend of a lot of different styles, right, so we've gone away from style versus style by necessity. Beyond that, there's a real structural component and this to me is really the biggest thing because everyone learning everyone else's style, um, that that still, in my mind, Brad and everyone else wouldn't really stop the dominance of dominant grapplers in a fight. Alone, in my view. So in addition to people getting better as athletes, people getting more knowledgeable as martial artists, we've had serious changes, significant changes, whatever you think about them. They're absolutely seismic. Um, the rule changes we've had and the parameters we've had in, mix, in mix, what we now call mixed martial arts, we used to call No Holds Barred or Violet Tudo in, in uh, Brazilian Portuguese, Seismic changes in the parameters of the fight and the rules of the fight and uh, what we agree uh, a fight consists of. So newer fans may not remember this uh, or be really aware of this, but the rules are very different and, and the structure of a fight really affects the game plans and the strategies and the tactics that fighters will be successful with. It's not a matter of just their style alone. They're operating within a system um, that encourages or discourages certain types of techniques or, or, or tactics. So, things that we haven't always had that now I think we take for granted. We assume they have to be this way. Rounds, round length of five minutes, right? Stand-ups, clinch breaks, separating fighters along the fence or anywhere while they're wrestling and trying to get a positional advantage on the feet or score a takedown, separating them before they get to do that. Standing them up and separating them when they're working for things on the ground. Or biding their time, like happens in, in any other sport as well. Um, things like the introduction of clinch breaks, stand-ups, which are a cultural thing. They're not mandated in the rules. Uh, things that are mandated in the rules are rounds, round lengths, um, things of that nature. Um, back before those, those things were in place, grappling, we saw grapplers dominate um, with less diversified fighters. Um, so I, I, I believe the, the more liberal, the less strict rules are in a fight, the more likely um, the person with a, with a grappling advantage in a match, if, they, if, if one person does have it over the other, is more like, uh, the more likely they are to, to win that fight. It's just very, very hard to be a grappler in MMA and to, from A to Z in a fight, Use your grappling and, and, uh, and, and win with your grappling. They separate you pretty darn quickly from the clinch if you're working against a cage. They separate you pretty darn quick and stand you up pretty darn quick off the ground. It's very, very tough. When we see amazing finishers on the ground like a Damian Maya, someone of that nature, it kind of suggests that it's pretty easy to do. People that train know it is not easy to do. It's not easy to get a submission on the mat with your friends uh, at your dojo. Not easy to do it in a beginner grappling tournament. It's certainly not easy to do it even in an amateur MMA fight where you're slippery, there's adrenaline pumping, uh, they can can hit you. It's extremely difficult to do it with the skill level, uh, the opposition that we find in the UFC at the top level. It makes it almost impossible to finish on the ground when the ref is giving you sometimes a few seconds to work before they're warning you about stand-ups where now we even see referees standing people up from dominant positions some we've seen uh, even very very uh, prominent referees who should know better like John McCarthy stand people up from the mount stand them up from uh, side mount these are very dominant positions where you work hard to get there and set you up uh, to have a better chance to then finish with uh, submissions or, or strikes from a dominant position the point is that the rules of modern mixed martial arts Make it very hard for grapplers to be as dominant as they once were. They're separated, um, often from the ground and from the clinch, so they have to strike. And that's why you see smart striker, uh, smart grapplers, uh, grappling based fighters like Daniel Cormier, Demetrius Johnson, Stephen Mulechik, the long, 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 long list of people that we, we, you know, that it goes way beyond the folks we even mentioned off the top. We see them learning to strike, right, and having to use their wrestling largely as punctuation marks at certain points in a fight maybe to to end a round. Uh, to have a, a real make an impact in the judge's mind, or, or to use their wrestling, uh, their grappling defensively to stay out of trouble, right? To stay off their back, stay out of a submission hold. Um, so I think I think the rules have and the culture of the sport as it's developed to its present form have a big impact uh, on on grapplers no longer being dominant. Brad, in, in my view, little side note: gloves, right? We take it for granted. We wear gloves. We're these little four ounce gloves. It didn't used to be that way. Um, gloves protect a fighter's hand. They do not protect their opponent's head. Um, they might make superficial cuts less likely. They certainly do not protect the brain. If, if that were true, we wouldn't see an average of 12 deaths a year in, in organized boxing in the US alone. Um, let say nothing of, of non-organized fights. The the blunt trauma that happens from a punch to the head, kick to the head, it, it, it's not really uh, from a tackle, a spearing tackle in, in football um, as well. We won't really get into that, but scientists um, have studied football as well and said, you know, the helmets really don't protect the brain. The, the blunt force trauma is not really cushioned by by a little bit of padding around the hand, around the head, Um and when you wear uh, a glove, when you wear it, when you're taped up, these fighters in the UFC, they're taped up usually, um, and then they're gloved up. I tell you, um, y- even just with amateur tape job that I've had for fights of mine, you feel like you can punch through a wall. Uh, I've been in situations of fights where i am been, I got lucky, right, and I was on top, and I was able to punch my opponent a lot in the head, um, all over the head, the head's very hard. With that wrap job, I didn't feel anything. Tried doing that, I'm not saying I have or I haven't, but try doing that with a bare fist. It's very, it's 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 a prohibitive thing. The pain, the risk of injury, with all the little bones in your hand when you're when you're not wearing a glove, is a prohibitive thing. What I'm getting at is back in uh, old um, old MMA days, where they were gloveless. You didn't want to throw a Nick or Nate Diaz 200 punches for every you know round or two. You just couldn't. You'd break your hands, right? You had to grapple more again the the structure of the sport at that time, kind of encouraged certain game plans. The structure of it now, with the rules, the culture, and even the equipment and the gloves, I believe have a big impact. When you when you taped up real well, um, and you're gloved up real well, you feel like, and you certainly uh, feel empowered to to throw a lot more strikes. So there's a lot going against the grappler, uh, to say nothing of the gra- the grappling the gloves um, kind of difficulty uh, increased difficulty of slipping in for chokes and things of that nature it, it's tough the rules the culture and the equipment even have changed in MMA so that grappling isn't uh, isn't as easy to impose uh, as a will or as a strategy the many strategies they're in um, as they used to be so you know brad thanks for the question and thanks for uh for getting that discussion started everyone's either going to be happy that you got it started or mad at you for, for my rambling. But it's a really interesting thing. There's a lot of things we we accept um, as automatic or the way things are now, we accept that it's the way they have to be. And that's it's, it's not true. So I think for grappling to ever come back into play as a dominant style strategy, because grapplers are plenty, grappling-based fighters are plenty dominant still, pl- plenty successful. For grappling tactics and strategies and game plans to... Become uh, very successful and dominant again. I, I think we we, ne- we would need a return to realism in mixed martial arts rules, culture, and equipment. Um, a return to realism um, that lets pe- lets us all see what works in a, in a real fight. Uh, I, I usually bet on the superior grappler in, in, in real fights. Why is a whole other reason, a whole other conversation. Uh, We're going to go next to Rick Glenn, UFC featherweight fights February 11th at UFC 2-8 versus Felipe Nover. Let's see if uh, Rick's uh, available. I'm going to give him a call here in a moment. Bear with me, please, as we do.
1: Hello,
0: this is Rick Rick, this is Elias with the Extra Rounds Podcast You're live, brother How you doing, sir?
1: Hi, doing
0: great Thanks for making time so close to your fight Really excited to have you on I'm jump yeah, Thanks in. for having me <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely So, I want to go into your background a little bit um, But first, I want to just ask about your, your last fight Now, your last fight was your UFC debut and it was a great fight. You didn't get the decision. You lost uh, a decision to to a fantastic, another fantastic fighter in Evan Dunham, a guy that's just been has a ton of experience, a lot older than you, been in the UFC for for a lot longer. It is. It, take us into the mindset. You know, I imagine you were hoping and dreaming and waiting for a while. You had a very successful career already. Waiting for a while to get in the UFC, Rick. Was there any consolation? And it being such a great fight against a great opponent, and everyone realizing uh, what you can do, uh, or, or is there really no consolation when you don't when you don't get the W?
1: Yeah, you know it, it sucked not winning, but number one, I wanted to impress the UFC, and I want to be around for a long time. Um, so they they did enjoy the fight. You know, unfortunately, I didn't get to win. I got a bonus. and They did like me, so that that was a plus.
0: Is it, was it for you personally? I know after a fight, you, you probably win or lose, you always take stock of how things went and what you want to work on. Um, were you more frustrated or more encouraged by, by how, the, how the fight went? Did you always believe that you can go uh, close or, or beat a guy or show that, you know, come close to beating or do better against a guy like Evan Dunham? Or did you, did you even prove something to yourself in that fight?
1: No, um, yeah, I really wasn't prepared, so I I was just a little disappointed in my preparation. Um, I know I can hang with the best in the world. I've trained with UFC fighters since I had first started, you know, training MMA years ago. And um, you know, I've I've had top top uh ten, you know, champion level training partners for years now so I, I I know where I'm at
0: the preparation was it about the notice you got for the fight like I don't know how, how much notice did they give you for it Rick
1: yeah it was about 10 days yeah,
0: yeah.
1: I was working quite a bit too so that that kind of cut into things it was you know a little different than what I'm used to I, I started working a little more and uh, just wasn't as prepared as I should have been
0: what do you do uh, for work outside of fighting
1: well, right now I I just uh, train full time, so I I left my job. I was working in the Costco Tire Center.
0: Mm-hmm. Is that why the notice I imagine is why you fought at, uh, at lightweight, right, instead of uh, featherweight?
1: No, it was a lightweight fight, just because Evan Dumb's a lightweight mm-hmm. um, opponent, I guess.
0: What did, did you did you were you open to that? Like, did you did you say, "Hey, I'll fight in multiple weights," or did you just?
1: Yeah, they yeah. You. That was my plan. Was mm. you know I would, would have liked to bounce back and forth, but I'm honestly a little too small for lightweight right now. Um, I think featherweight's going to be a much much more natural weight class for me.
0: That's interesting because you're you're a tall dude, right? Like you're I, you're listed at six at six feet. You look. You look all yep. of it. You know, talk, break that down. A lot of times, fans may not understand the difference between big and tall, right? <laughs> like when you say you think you're a little bit too small for for lightweight, even though you're probably as yes, tall or taller than most of them. Like talk about that. Well, how much weight are guys dropping that you know of, like your opponents at you know at lightweights uh, dropping? How much are they walking around at and how much are you, you know usually oh, used to drop? I
1: mean, most most fighters are at least cutting twenty pounds a week of a fight. Um, and then on up, you know, from that w- with the higher weight costs, you know, they're going to be cutting more weight. It's probably not the heavyweight so much, but you know, the week of I'm cutting 20 pounds and that's, that's a piece of cake. I've, you know, years ago I was, I was doing, uh, I would start my cuts about 30 pounds out from my weight class, at one forty five and walk around like 180, 85. And, um, uh, you know, now that there's the I V uh band with the UFC, a lot of guys are moving up, but still the light the lightweight guys are I imagine they're walking around at one eighty five maybe close to ninety, I'd imagine still. And I, I don't walk anywhere around around that weight anymore.
0: How did you how did you get so good at uh at at, at the incredibly Grueling and and kind of horrible process of weight cutting. Was it coming up wrestling?
1: No, I I didn't wrestle growing up. But uh, you know, coming from Iowa, I, I had a really good friend, training partner that started experimenting with the the water trick and and doing the no sodium uh, the week of the fight. And, uh, Alan Hernandez, unfortunately, he doesn't fight anymore. We could easily been a lightweight champion but i trained with this guy for a few years in his basement <laughs> and you know self-trained guy worked full-time trained multiple times a day like had a family crazy mm-hmm. um but he and this was gosh this was like 10 years ago when he was starting to do this and you know i, I pretty much do the similar similar thing to this day uh, you know two gallons of water for about three days I'll mix it up sometimes, and then you cut it down a quarter gallon until the day before weigh-ins, and then you kind of gauge where your weight's at. And so you just kind of trick your body, flush it out with water, cut the sodium out, eat a lot of you know fresh greens, fruits, vegetables.
0: So everyone needs to listen to that. Everyone talks about oh, I need to drink more water. I need to have eight glasses a day. This is, ladies and gentlemen, a featherweight talking about drinking two gallons a day right so it puts yeah. everyone else to shame like you're not drinking a lot of water unless you're unless you're doing unless you're 160 pounds yeah. and drinking two gallons a day goodness gracious that's is that one yeah, of the yeah. hardest parts of it like, everyone talks about what you got to keep out rick whereas you're cutting weight is getting enough water in your system <laughs> a challenge in and of itself
1: oh no no i I, <laughs> I can i drink a gallon of water i mean some days i'll go through a gallon of water before noon wow I have a couple practices and i'm like oh crap like Sometimes I gotta catch myself and slow down a little bit, but uh, yeah, you know I carry a jug around and a gallon of water is nothing. <laughs> I know plenty of friends and family that, you know, a gallon of water a day would would benefit them immensely.
0: About <laughs> all of us, yeah. No, you, yeah. It, it, did you? So, what got you started, interested? in mma um uh, you're not too far from us here we're here in chicago you're in a you know a gi- uh, gigantic wrestling nice. place but you didn't yeah you didn't you will have to have you in studio one of these times as well after the fight uh, yeah um yes, yeah it'd be great uh, you didn't wrestle though like what got you interested in uh, in fighting was it was it your friend alan he, You saw him doing it or what was it
1: yeah actually it was um i i boxed for a couple of years um in high school at a community boxing club and and that closed down and um, I just kind of fell into the MMA. My brother was, uh, a pretty big wrestler. Um, and just really, really well, you know, talented, whatever at wrestling. And, and he got into it. And I didn't really like the grappling part at first. Um, but I knew I needed to train it. And, uh, so I was kind of behind the scenes for a couple years, working some shows and helping some promoters out, run, run these events, local MMA events. And, You know, seen a lot of stuff behind the scenes and at shows. And I knew, you know, it was was interesting. I wanted to do it. And eventually I I did, you know, short notice, couple hour uh, notice fight I took and made a hundred bucks and was hooked ever since then.
0: That's all right. So we we can't gloss over that. That's so cool. And there's so many yeah. cool sto- there's so many cool stories like this. They, uh, we Clay Guida, a friend of the shows. I remember the first time he ever took a fight. Uh, it was he was there to watch his brother Jason. He was like had, he was in a couple beers, had a bandana on his head, and he asked if anyone else wanted to fight. And he came in like so many so many old school. Uh, even though you're a young man, so many old school guys like yourself have stories like this. How did how did how did you come to fight on a couple hours' notice? The first oh, time, yeah. well, the I, first time.
1: It was actually, I, I, I really needed the money. It, it was a only 100 bucks, but I'm in high school, you know, a high school <laughs> kid. Like, oh, man, I, so I called my girlfriend, my wife now. Uh, she got my my gym bag ready, and I actually left work like an hour early to, to make it there. and Changed in a uh, bathroom stall, and they didn't even have a, a locker room area. I just stretched real quick, and, and then I was up, and as I was like walking to the cage... Luckily, my uncle and my brother were there at the show, and they're like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "I'm fighting," and then so they asked to be in my corner. I'm like, yeah, I I, I need a corner, I guess. And I went to the second round, and in between rounds, I actually didn't have any water either. So they, uh, you know, reached over and, and grabbed a, a friend's water that was nearby, a you know, water bottle, and tossed it in it, and uh that. Yeah. So, were you helping yeah. put this
0: show on, and then they just needed a guy fell out, and they needed another guy? Like, how did that even come up out?
1: No, I, I was actually. It was a promoter that I I knew, Tyrone Roberts. Mm. Um, he fought in the UFC once way back when, but uh, I knew him, and he hit me up, and I was I was working at Staples at the time in the furniture department.
0: That's amazing. Now. Were you had you done any grappling training at that time, or were you just doing the boxing?
1: A little bit, but I was I was doing more boxing at the time.
0: That's and now these these fights, Rick, are like are these the type that are these? I imagine these aren't on your record, or are they on your record?
1: Yeah, this is my well amateur. Yeah, but this was back when uh, you know amateurs could throw elbows, and yep. it was. I remember just before I was fighting. Uh, hearing about guys, you know, being able to do headbutts and stuff, like, oh, dang! <laughs> but uh, you know, I I always wanted to do headbutts in my fights, yeah. but uh, at least I I got to do elbows and you know, knee to the face.
0: What's the what's the regulation like now in Iowa? Like, I, I fought in, I fought as an amateur and, uh, and I've and I coached some guys, Rick, but I've never actually I've never fought in Iowa and I've never coached anyone in Iowa. And I know like Illinois and Indiana have gone over a ton of changes over the years into what's allowed, what's not allowed. What, what's the regulation like in, in Iowa right now?
1: Yeah, same. It's uh, unified rules now, mm-hmm. but they, they've they came a long way just within the past five years. Uh, you know, amateurs aren't allowed to to elbow, knee to the face, um, no ankle locks. They, the big thing is no that kidding. they do more uh, medical testing.
0: Yeah, right, right.
1: They, started, they, they didn't even do any blood Blood work. Like, <laughs> I couldn't imagine fighting without having my opponent get blood work done. Now,
0: isn't that crazy? I remember even even my uh, my first. My first two fights, they were just like they were just like smokers, you know. So they weren't legal. I the first one I ever had, actually, it got shut. The whole event got shut down by police. Like three, three fights <laughs> after mine, so I lucked out. Luckily, they put me low on the card. Wow. But, yeah, isn't that funny? But like, but you know, I was thinking yeah. later. You don't think about it in the moment. I'd never took anything on a couple hours' notice. But the first one I took on two days' notice. But you don't think about it. I remember. There was no rules meeting. There was no. There's certainly no blood testing. There was a doctor that basically yeah. checked if I had a pulse. And then I, I realized later, I'm like, I could have like, if I was so inclined, and I never was. My team would have never been either. But I could have put whatever I wanted in my gloves. I could have loaded them up, like you know. Oh yeah. It's a, it's a it's a crazy time. At the time, were you were you even did you have any pause as a high school kid to even get get scared, or you were like, no, I want to scrap on and make some money, and you didn't really think about the dangers at all.
1: No, I didn't, I didn't think about the dangers. Uh, I ended up stopping the guy. And it, he was actually, I mean, at the time, looking back, for, for my age, when I was 17, I was fighting grown men, you wow. know, guys in their 30s. And I stopped this, this guy. Uh, he was a little bit heavier than me. And they didn't even do a weigh-in, but he was <laughs> he was close to weight, a little heavier. But, uh, yeah, I, I cut him up pretty good, and his corner threw in the towel. Hmm how I ended up winning.
0: Did you did you did you know right away that like hey this is this is something I'm 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 built to do. I'm wired to do this once you were in that fight?
1: I think so and you know I I'm probably uh probably still would have been hooked even if I if I would have lost that fight.
0: What's that feeling that that do you think would have hooked you? Like what about it? Like that, that got you so hooked where win or lose you you wanted to do it again. It's
1: it's just the rawest sport out there. I mean, two people going toe-to-toe, like kill or be killed. It's you or them. I mean, besides, you know, you can't bite or gouge the eyes and, and knee the groin. Everything goes. It's, you know, the most purest sport I think there is.
0: And that feeling when you get your, your hand raised in such a primal battle, is that is that yeah, pretty much as high as it gets?
1: yeah that's the the ultimate high i think
0: well you got you got another fight coming up and i I I can only imagine what it's going to feel like not you know you've had your first wins you've had uh, before, but your first UFC win do you visualize that a lot already having been there and, and gotten so close do you do you visualize do you think about what it's going to feel like
1: at that yeah, point: yeah definitely yeah definitely do a lot of visual, visualization.
0: So before I let you go, last question: What do you, what are your impressions of your opponent? Um, good, bad, and different. What, what do you think of of your opponent, uh, Nova?
1: Um, You know, he's another longtime vet. Uh, he's been around for a while. Obviously, I have respect for him, just like all my other opponents. But he's, you know, he's in my way. I, I need to get that victory. Um, I'm sure, he's thinking the same thing, but I've. I've dedicated a lot, a lot of time, sacrificed a lot of stuff to this fight. Um, I'm coming. I'm coming for the victory.
0: Well, Rick, we really appreciate you taking so much time to to talk with us, especially so close to your fight. We've been talking with Rick Glenn, UFC featherweight. He'll be fighting next at UFC 208 against Felipe Nover. It's been a real pleasure talking with you, man. We'll have to have you on again afterwards. Best of luck with the rest of uh, camp and the fight, brother.
1: Yeah, thank you. Take care. Thanks for having me.
0: You got it. Take care. That was a lot of fun. We were just on with Rick Glenn. He uh, his first fight didn't go his way but really impressed a hell of a lot of people. He fought Evan Dunham who if 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 you follow the lightweight division at all over the last eight or ten years, you know that Evan Dunham is a nightmare. He can beat anyone in any given night. And that's who Rick Glenn got a drew for his very first UFC fight. Rick Glenn, I think, is only 26, 27 years old. Um, obviously, has a lot of experience, like we were just talking about, some, some fun old stories, but had a rough draw. He has a rough draw in his second fight, uh, but his opponents have a rough draw as well. Rick looked... Uh, he lost his decision. It was a super exciting fight. It was fight of the night in his in his UFC debut, um, which I think he was a little. I don't know if he was. I don't know if he mentioned that. He may have been too humble to say that. But it was a phenomenal fight. Certainly looked like he belonged. He certainly had uh, the skill set and the composure to be in the UFC. It's gonna be fun to to watch him. This is this is why you gotta watch the whole the whole card, guys. You know, if uh, love the new fans, but if you're if you're showing up, you're turning your television on. At uh, at nine or ten, depending where you live in live in the world, um, you, you're missing out sometimes on the best fights of the night. If you lay down that money for sixty or whatever dollars it is, do yourself a favor, carve out some time, watch the whole event. If it's on, if it's on, uh, you know, uh, on for free or included in your cable bill, watch watch as much of that as you can. Get some good food and and watch it because the hungriest guys and girls sometimes are are, are on the undercard and uh, they got some of the coolest stories too. It was fun to. Fun to chat with uh, with Rick about that. He's not too far from us here in, in Chicago. Again, we'll have to have him in studio. I want to go right in, in a moment to Adam Milstead if he's available. Now, Adam fights this week, right? He, he fights in the fourth. He fights three days from now. He's a heavyweight, so he's not cutting weight, which is good, which is probably why he agreed to talk to us. I'm going to see if he's available here in a moment because, goodness gracious, uh, having to do having to do interviews and, and talk to Loathsome people like myself on fight week It can't be easy for fighters while while they're cutting weight, deprived of sodium, uh, food, and water. Heavyweights are usually in a bit a little bit better mood. Let's see if Adam's available. Um, give him a ring now. Adam is going to be fighting. Uh, he made his UFC debut recently and uh, he won. He won his his opening fight. Um, he's going to be fighting Curtis. I'm, I think I might be mispronouncing his name. Blood Ace, uh, who's who's from the Chicago area as well. That's going to be. Probably a pretty good slugfest. Let's see if Adam's around. Hello? Hey, Adam, this is Elias with Extra Rounds Podcast. You're on live, brother.
2: Hey, how we going, man? How are
0: you? I'm doing well, man. Really, really excited to talk with you, um, and really honored that you're talking to us so close to, to your fight. I was mentioning that uh, the heavyweights, you know, there's a lot of stress, but the heavyweights are not as, can't, not as grumpy as, as other people because you're not at least you're not cutting weight, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> no, we just uh, we had two large pepperoni pizzas last night. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, today we just got a box full of Nutty Buddies, so, yeah, we're good.
0: <laughs> All right, so one of the things I was going to ask you about, you you know, I've seen you come in around 225, 230. I was going to ask you, hey, why don't you, have you considered going down to light heavyweight? I think I have my answer. This is why. So you can eat Nutty Buddies and, and pepperoni <laughs> pizza, right?
2: Exactly. All the <laughs> other guys on the bus hate us, so, you know, we're sitting there eating, eating these things, drinking Coke, whatever, and these guys are sucking on celery sticks and stuff like
0: that so, yeah you go and happy and you go and uh energized that's a good thing man i uh, uh yep. i uh you know i have a few questions i want to dive into but that i things that uh, i i know about you that i want to learn more about but one of the things that was mentioned to me um was that you 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 sing you're a country singer now were they were they messing with me or can you can you croon a little bit <laughs> yeah i can do a
2: little bit yeah um it's uh, just something I do to kind of keep my mind leveled out and you know uh, relaxed and, and chilled out while going through the stresses of fight training and all that good stuff. So yeah, I, I sing on the side. I, I play guitar and make my music and stuff like that. So,
0: oh, that's cool. How did you how did you get into music? Like, did you start as a child or, or just do it more recently? Um,
2: well, in ninth grade, I needed an arts uh, class, so I decided to take guitar because I always want to learn. And somewhere along the way, I heard somebody that. Uh, you know chicks like guitar players so I, I, that's when i started playing guitar and then uh eventually eventually i started kind of like singing along with the chords i was playing and eventually I just kind of became self-taught and then one day i decided to throw out a song on youtube or facebook and i got a lot of uh positive feedback and i was like you know what let's uh let's see how far i can go and so i, I used it in a combination of you know just trying out see if I have a knack for it and at the same time to uh, balance out the, the violence hmm. uh, so to speak in my life so
0: that's pretty cool there was I uh, I don't know if you've ever seen those mariachi movie series they had the desperado one with, uh, with Antonio Banderas and stuff and he's a he's a singer and he's a guitar player and in uh, in Mexico, and in one of those ones, he talks. Yeah, yeah you've seen that. I, I yeah. heard about that. Those are you got to see them first of all. There's an original Mexican one, all in Spanish, at mariachi. Good stuff. You got it. It's because, dude, it's 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 a guy with a guitar and and uh, who goes around singing, and then he also has to take out some guys and and kills a bunch of guys. So I think you'll dig it. But there's <laughs> a whole good series, and they did some in English with Antonio Banderas and a whole series. And in one of those, Adam, there was a, a cool line in there. Where the, the the main character in is this in this movie, Antonio Banderas, he's play, he's sitting and he's getting ready. going there's gonna be a showdown. And uh he's sit but he's sitting in bed in his room with his guitar and um he's about to do a lot of killing. Uh but he he's he's play, he's, he's tuning around with a song he's playing around tinkering with some chords and he says i think it's something to the effect of it's easier to uh to destroy than to create so it's kind of cool to hear you talk about that balance right because w- you spend so much of your effort mental energy and physical energy trying to do well of course it's a sport and the refs are there but trying to do things that would but for the referee you know kill someone and you but you also spend time uh, uh creating it sounds like that's an important balance to have for you
2: oh yeah um, well that's uh, back in the old days uh martial artists would would write songs they would play music they would uh paint write poetry you know just kind of it, it's one of those things that dates back way back in the day and that that's what they did to help bounce out the violence in their life
0: that's cool that's who you're right it's it's a really it's a it's a throwback thing who who are some of your favorite uh artists who are some of your favorite songwriters or guitar players
2: oh uh, well i I'm always going for, like, the fun ones. So I, I sing country, so I like uh, like Dirk Bentley. I mean, he, he seems like if I was going to party with one, that'd be one. Florida Georgia Line is a good one. Um, I always liked uh, um, getting in a little bit of the rock, too. I, I liked uh, Stained. Uh, I listened to, yes. um, you know, even the older ones, Metallica, ACDC, uh, Guns. Of R- I'm all over the place, man. It if it sounds good, I listen to it. So I dig it. But I dig um, it. I, I, right, I I really like country because uh, a lot of what I do uh, kind of revolves around the lyrics of a normal country song. So it kind of fits into my lifestyle.
0: That's pretty cool. Would uh, you gotta you gotta get yourself a, a title fight? So you could have uh, Aaron Lewis come and sing you out like he did for uh, Chad Mendes one of these days, right?
2: yeah that'd be awesome I love that man yeah Aaron Lewis is a great great dude I mean he, he pretty much is like pretty much what I would do if I was in his you know shoes just you know basically go out go on tour and and then get back and then go hunt and then live the country lifestyle so.
0: that's pretty awesome before we move on like where you, you mentioned putting stuff out on YouTube where can can people uh, find you online and, and, and check out some of your work
2: yeah, um, if they go, uh, it, normally just YouTube my name, Adam Milstead, cool. and, uh, you know, things will pop up. Um, I have a song, I, I did a couple covers, one of an Eric Church song, uh, I have an original out, and then also uh, another cover of, uh, you know, to be completely different is a five-finger death punch song. So, uh,
0: nice, nice. Yeah, it's a, yeah. <laughs> That's very cool. So I was looking I was looking at your early uh early record, at least the listed stuff, and I don't know if you if you had fights that are not listed uh before this, but the the first listed fight for you as a pro Adam was uh was a loss. Was that your first that was that the tequila loss? Was that actually your first MMA fight or had you ones before?
2: Oh, no no. I um if you go on the com normally it has all of them.
0: ah okay. Me, I was but, not sure. Uh, dog. Got you
2: yeah yeah sure dog doesn't list any of those. no i uh i had about the 12 or 13 other fights prior to that okay. i went to 10 and 12 or, or i went to 10 and 2 as an amateur with three titles and then uh and then yeah then i went pro and lost my pro debut got you so,
0: how was that like the, losing your pro debut was it after, especially have such a, 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 you know, nowadays, and, and at least in MMA, you know, to have twelve amateur fights, it's actually a pretty long one. Like most, most guys rush into to pros. So you, you know, you guys are obviously cultivating. You know, it seems like you're cultivating yourself, getting experience. To to lose the first pro one, was it, was it tough mentally for a while? Oh
2: uh, yeah, uh, but it was. I think the driving force I needed to really uh push forward and 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 start training like a professional you know and it was uh it was a wake-up call for me um you know you can't go out there and think you're going to do some flashy kicks and uh you know think you're going to do something you know real cool that people are going to talk about i mean that that works once in a great while but uh it's not professional work on that in your game plan and that's of course what happened to me i ended up doing something stupid and i uh, got caught but uh Regardless of the situation it it was technically what i needed mm-hmm. and uh you know shortly after that fight i uh that was my last light heavyweight fight after that i decided to go uh, to heavyweight
0: oh uh, wow see that's that's an interesting thing so many people drop down after after you know adversity or loss you you went up we I mean, we talked a little bit about eating and not being hungry what was, what was what's been one of the biggest benefits for you uh, as a heavyweight what do you feel do you feel you're quicker than most of the guys you just feel more energy like what, what's what do you like about it
2: yeah just being more agile and having more cardio um, and at the most part I think the, the biggest thing is just being happy you know it's a you know as it, a light heavyweight for me I, I wasn't really so worried about losing the weight I mean I, I stuck around uh, 215 220, and then I would, you know, stop eating that week and eventually drop, but it was, it was miserable at times, and it's not like I don't know what weight loss is all about, I mean, I, I did it, you know, years in wrestling, so, but, um, it was just one of those things that, I, you know, I, I went to a, uh, strength and conditioning coach, and he looked at me, he said he is. You have a frame that should be holding about you know two forty two fifty. You shouldn't be walking around sucked out all the time. So that's that's what eventually got me up to the heavyweight division. And you know the, these guys are they're you know fighting is such a stressful situation already. You know so I try to uh, minimize as much stress as possible, and not even happen to you know step on the scale and worry about weight it really does alleviate all that stress and, and misery and you know things that you would go through you know leading up to the fight
0: your UFC debut you were incredibly impressive and you got the win was what, what take us to that moment was it obviously you're happy right like it's a good moment but is it is oh. it is it, is it, is, it ex, is it like aggressive joy is it relief is it a combination of things like how how good did it feel and what did it feel like getting that win uh, i know i know you guys are wanting to get in the UFC for a while uh, and you got there and you made good what was that like
2: Um, It was a dream come true. It was uh, everything that I hoped it to be. And it was a little bit of a relief because, you know, prior to that, it was three, four, five months of serious, hard, nonstop training. And uh, it was uh, an an incredible experience because uh, everything came down to one moment, one opportunity. And uh, it was uh, that moment that, you know, like all the pain and misery I've gone through throughout my entire career came down to that moment and to even just step in that cage was worth it so um yeah the win is something seriously special for me but uh, just being able to step in there i call myself a UFC fighter has been uh such a privilege and honor
0: before i let you go what's what's your thoughts on and your next opponent obviously you're confident i'm sure you're always confident what do you think the difference is going to be for you whether it's a technical thing whether it's a just an in- internal trait like when you look at that matchup why do you like it
2: um, between me and Curtis it's it's all about you uh, taking two two different spectrums of the sport and and bringing them together so I, i'm a I'm a striker and he's a total wrestler so uh, it's going to be the deciding factor whether or not he keeps the fight where he wants to keep it or me, um, and uh, it's a big challenge. He's a big guy. He's strong. He's he's pretty quick for his size too. So I'm always up for a challenge. I'm always up to to see how uh, you know how far I can go. But uh, I'm confident with the way things are going to that I think that are going to go. And uh, I don't know, man. It's just it. it, it I, I like it because in the end. The UFC brings us in for one reason, and that's to put on a show. And as long as I can come out there and do that very thing, win or lose, regardless of situation, as long as I get people talking about us, the heavyweight division, me, whatever, um, you know, it's a job well done. So, um, regardless, however it turns out this Saturday, uh, as long as I put on a show, that's all I care about.
0: Now We know you will put on a show. You always do. We've been on with Adam Milson who fights just in a few days. Uh, UFC Fight Night 104, I believe, uh, February 4th. Watch him, uh, watch him this Saturday and uh, watch him before and after. Uh, also on YouTube. You, get to, you hear the man uh, do his art both, both different ways. He's, he's an artist and a scientist and, a, and an athlete all in one. Adam, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us so close to the fight and, and wish you all the best, brother.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: You got it, man. Take care. All right. You too. Uh, it's always a cool thing to get to talk with with athletes so close uh, to their to their competition. It's it's a rare thing, especially if if you're remote, right? For him to take the time to call in um, or to take our call it was really really cool. Um, we were on with Adam Milstead, so UFC heavyweight. He's been eating well. He's going to have plenty of energy when he, when he fights this Saturday. And uh, he's a real renaissance man. We Earlier we had Rick Glenn on, UFC featherweight, um, who's going to be uh, making his... He's also going to be fighting for the second time in the UFC, uh, like Adam is. And he's going to be looking for his first win. He'll be fighting February 11th at UFC 208 against Felipe Nover. Two really interesting dudes, gregarious guys. Make sure to watch their fights. Um, you got to check out the undercards. That's that's where so much of the action is and, and where you can really become the, the smart guy, in, as a smart girl in your, in your group, uh, the one that has seen the prospects coming up and has all the right answers. So it's been fun getting to talk with them. I know, uh, Mike Dice, my co-host, has been working hard in, in Houston scoring a ton of cool interviews uh, a lot of that's going to be up in written form soon and uh, we're going to try to bring some of that uh, some of these recorded ones that aren't super time sensitive to the podcast in the coming weeks as well I, it's been really cool to to get his transmissions and saying I oh, talked talk with this person that person he's just doing a lot of uh, awesome work at kind of other than Chicago in my view the place to be this week is in Houston you got the UFC and you've got uh, a little thing called the Super Bowl going on as well I, I heard the there's a there's a decent uh, newcomer called Tom Brady trying to win another title. So a lot of big stuff going down where where Mikey D is, and um, a lot of fun stuff going on here. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, thank our guest Rick Glenn and Adam Milstead, and also uh, Richard for making sure that I don't step on uh, on my toes and fall on my face every episode. It's been a, it's been a lot of fun uh, this week. Next week, we should have uh, Mike back, hear all about the Super Bowl, all about Houston, Texas, and, and the UFC down there, UFC Texas, uh, UFC Houston. Um, so it, that's going to be a fun one as well. We'll let you know on Twitter. We'll announce uh, the guests as soon as we uh, we have next week's guests uh, booked. We'll let you know, as always, um, leave us uh, a line at Extra Rounds. Uh, on Twitter, call us at 815 570 3923. Leave us a voicemail with some questions, some observations. We want to thank Brad Stein for his question, which kicked off the first half of, of this week's episode. It was a, a real thought provoking one. So, uh, everyone else, enjoy your week. Share it. If you're listening to this on iTunes and you dug it, please give us a five star uh, review. Really appreciate it. it. Makes a big difference. Uh, if you like it, send it to a, a buddy of yours that hasn't heard us. So, for, uh, for Mike Dice, for uh, Richard Durante, um, I'm Aliyah Cepeda signing off for next round's podcast. Have a great one, guys.